What is up, Crusaders of Crypt Nation? It's your boys, Bryce. And this is Pizza Mine. We are coming at you not so live from the studio. As always, we're here bringing crypto to the mainstream, and we're hell-bent on ushering in the era of new money. If you're fed up with greedy corpse and governments telling you what you can and can't do with your money, you're in the right place. If you're looking for exposure to brand new ways of saving your hard-earned wealth, then let me tell you, you're in the right place. And I'll be good goddamn, because if you're looking to get up to speed on all the most relevant crypto narratives and projects, you're in the right place. Today's guest is Kevin Murko, CEO and founder of Coin Metro. Kevin is best known for his three hour long AMAs that he does weekly, as well as his unbelievably accurate predictions of markets present and past. He has a very long, extensive background in Forex. He uses all kinds of interesting terms that are way over my head, but he's decided to come down to our podcast today and try and explain all this high level stuff very, very simply for you. This platform, Coin Metro, is one of the easiest exchanges for a newbie to use and has all kinds of amazing features that are not found in any other exchanges. They even have ETFs and TAMs and all kinds of stuff. And what those are, we're going to find out on the episode. So let's bring him on right now. Kevin, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for allowing me to be here and uh, appreciate the time, guys. It's our honor because I think Coin Metro is going to be one of the biggest exchanges and personally one of my favorite projects to watch. Uh, the interface that you guys have built is one of a kind. Uh, we want to learn a little more about you first, and then we're going to talk uh, about Coin Metro. Uh, so if you would, what were you doing before Coin Metro, and why did you decide to start an exchange? Sure. So Kevin and Coin Metro, two of my most favorite topics. So this should be pretty easy, guys. Um, <laughs> when it comes to uh, when it comes to how I got here, so. My, my most of my professional experience comes from retail forex, so foreign exchange industry. So I've been involved in that industry in some way, shape, or form for the last 22 years. And that's foreign uh, exchange currency for uh, the viewers that don't know what forex yeah, yeah. is. Yeah, so that, that's your FX market, the, the market everybody used to lose their money on before crypto came around. Right? <laughs> so, so yeah, that, I, I've been involved in this for quite some time. And I started out, like everybody else does, uh, thinking that I could be a trader and uh, making money on a demo account and then losing all my money on a real account. That's kind of how the journey started. And from there, uh, I was kind of self-taught, read a lot of books, had, a, had some people that helped me along the way, ended up becoming... Uh, basically an IB or an introducing broker. So like an affiliate guy, basically, initially established a bunch of relationships with a bunch of brokers around the world, helped clients gain access to those brokers. Over that time, actually honed my trading skills, started trading for myself, started trading full time, uh, became a trader, started to manage assets, started to teach people how to trade, and then eventually made my way up to opening uh, my own brokerage roughly 10 years ago. And since then, that at least up until when CoinMetro really became a priority, that, that's what I did on a daily basis. I, I managed liquidity relationships. I had relationships with big banks, small banks, other brokers, and I kind of helped people make money. That was, that was basically the mission. And then roughly about four or five years ago, we had clients that were interested in trading Bitcoin. And Bitcoin was relatively new for me. Around 2011 or 12, I, I had some personal interest, mined a little bit of Bitcoin and, and, and thought it was a, a very unique concept. But 
didn't really get involved on the business side till roughly 2014. And that's when Coin Metro journey kind of started. Even though Coin Metro didn't exist, the name didn't exist. That's when the journey uh, started and uh, it, it grew from there. That's awesome, Kevin. You are one of the busiest people I know, which makes the fact that you are so interactive with your community all the more amazing. I've seen you up at three in the morning and I know now it's nighttime your time and you're still here doing this after you came back to the office from a meeting. So what is your typical day even like? Can you walk us through the point where you wake up, what time you wake up, if there's even a set time and just walk people through a day in your life? Sure. That's, I don't think I have a typical day. So it, it, every day is a little bit different for me, which is which is one reason why I keep doing what I do, because it's interesting. I think if every one of my days was the same, I, I might just stop doing anything. Uh, Agreed. <laughs> it would become a bit monotonous, right? Um, but no, so for the past, let's say, two years, this, this Coin Metro journey, um, initially when we were going through, you know, token sale and initial development, my days probably started around 9, 10 a.m. and ended at 6 a.m., literally, uh, because most of that time was spent on making sure we were on track uh, at some point, uh, on track for development and then obviously dealing with communities. And yes, I, I, I think I famously now have, I don't know, 45 hours worth of voice messages in Telegram. I don't know what the Guinness Book of World Records is for voice messages and Telegram. It's got to be up there. I got to be getting pretty close. So, so that that that's kind of how, how how my days were then. And then as we moved into more uh, building out our actual infrastructure, a lot of my time, you know, some days I wake up at seven a.m. Some days I wake up at noon. It really depends on you know what my schedule looks like. When I have to travel a lot, I try to sleep uh, a little later to get things done, but I wake up a bit later. So this past week, for instance, I was in London, um, and London generally means. Uh, people like to meet and drink. That's usually how a London meeting goes, right? It's either after work with a beer or it's, uh, you know, I don't know, carries into the wee hours. So uh, I can- It sounds like a San Diego meeting too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And an LA meeting. (laughs) Yeah, an LA meeting. New York meeting. Meeting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Miami meeting. I mean, I guess I guess there's lots of meetings that end up that way. Though when you compare that to the Germans, they like breakfast meetings. So usually ah. you go out for breakfast, early breakfast, seven, eight, nine a.m., and you knock things out. You're done uh, by ten or eleven, and meeting over, and you accomplish something. Uh, though most places in the world that doesn't happen. So you know, I, I right now I spend a lot of my time uh, business development. I also spend some of my time doing fundraising. Um, aside from Coin Metro, which is kind of a, a project integrated with Coin Metro, but this uh, CS which for those listening that have no idea what that means, which is probably 99% because it's a term that generally doesn't get thrown around the public too often, is a central securities depository. Let's just say it's the infrastructure piece to an STO market. Uh, So uh, right now, a lot of my time has to do with business development on that side and incorporating that into what is CoinMetro, which is an MTF, so multilateral trading facility, which to dumb that down means the front end of STO trading. Uh, So yeah, my days, I I don't know if I have a typical day. My day is a, a lot of talk. A lot of a lot of meetings, uh, lots of business development, lots of things trying to figure out how to incorporate different things into our into our ecosystem at Coin Metro. Trying to figure out how we can better benefit our partners, whether they're internal or external partners, and uh, you know, kind of strategizing for how we expand in different markets uh, with products we already have launched and then products that we haven't launched yet. So. Uh, I would say that from a, it's more of a COO and business development role, kind of what what I've been doing for the last uh, couple months here, rather than CEO. You know, I don't sit in the office too much. I imagine also you're probably working pretty closely with re- regulatory bodies. Is that correct? 
Uh, yeah, that's definitely part of the meeting. So obviously in London, this time when I was there, I didn't I didn't necessarily have any regulatory regulator meetings. I, I definitely talk about, actually sat on a, a private panel at London FinTech Week when I was there and discussed specifically the regulatory burdens and, the, and, and what I saw was going to happen in terms of regulation when it comes to crypto in general, uh, blockchain market will become a highly regulated market and how that's going to happen. And I, I've kind of been talking about that. I think one of my first, the first public times I talked about that was in London as well in 2017. Uh, and at that time, I think 30% of the crowd was, you know, tattooed guys with man buns. Um, and, and it was kind of snickered at, but I think nine out of 10 things I said in that, in that talk have already come true. And the 10th is, you know, on the verge of coming true. So yes, I, I do talk a lot with regulators. I was just recently talking to the EFSA here in Estonia about a particular topic. I've traveled probably and talked to, I don't know, maybe 12, 12 to 15 regu regulating bodies over the last year or so. Um, and I'm on my way on Monday to sit down with the Capital Market Authority in Montenegro about a sandbox. So we're helping them create a sandbox and we will then use that sandbox to basically show how an MTF and a CSD function to create a capital market infrastructure for tokenized securities. Wow. That is awesome. So, are the regular? So, you said actually about nine out of ten of these prophecies, if you will, uh, had come true. Uh, I'm kind of curious. Could you name a couple of those, and then what's that final tenth one that we're still waiting on? Sure. So, uh, when I talked, I basically, I basically talked about how the FX market went from being unregulated to regulated back in the late '90s into the early 2000s. And essentially, what happened was, is you had a you had a very large player that was that's uh, Refco. Anybody wants to look them up, feel free. R E F. CO. Refco was kind of the Binance of the day. So initially they were completely unregulated. They ended up becoming regulated, but were quickly basically shut down by the powers that be, mainly because they were operating so long in an unregulated space. So part of my talk was basically honing in on the fact that while at the time, 2017, there were really no regulations that applied toward crypto. I said that first, you know, what regulators normally do is they try to scare us. Uh, they tell us that everything's right. a scam. They tell us that we shouldn't get our money involved, that people will steal our money, that it's not secure, et cetera. Um, and then once that happens, at the same time that they're saying this publicly, they're actually looking to see if there's any merit in regulating the industry because they either choose to regulate or they choose to wait till it blows up. That's that's one or the other. Now, had cryptocurrency been non-decentralized, so a centralized product, it already would have blown up because they would have shut it down. But the fact that it's decentralized makes that difficult. So they quickly made a choice that they needed to regulate. So they scare, they do research, then they start to regulate. And the first place they regulate is KYC and AML, so onboarding. So obviously, that's already begun to happen. And in many countries has happened, period. But in other countries, it's starting to happen. Once they get through the KYC and AML, they start to apply existing regulations in terms of moving money. So that would be the FATF, right? That would be the, the travel Financial rule. Action Task Force. Exactly. The Financial Action Task Force, uh, who has now uh, imposed or is looking to impose the, the travel rule, which basically what the travel rule is, is when one, when it comes to banking, is when one bank sends money to another bank, they must tell the receiving bank where that money came from, information about the party that's sending it, information about the receiving party if they have it. Basically, so that the, the the receiving bank understands the relationship, the pre-existing relationship with that client. So are they going to be doing that between exchanges, right? That's the idea. But it's not just exchanges. It's wallets. It's any on and off ramp. So oh, wow. 
From an exchange standpoint, if you're already compliant, that's not all that difficult to do. If you're not compliant, it is impossible to do. And if you're a wallet provider that's that really up to this point has never taken any KYC data, it is quite an issue to to overcome. So that was kind of the first part of the talk. And then I go in, then I went in to explain basically from that point what regulations were going to do to the market, meaning that unregulated players were either going to have to become regulated, but certain players that were already non-regulated that had already committed so many, let's say, bad acts in terms of regulation would be impossible to become regulated. And they would start basically to either create small regulated entities, that's Binance right now, basically, uh, creating smaller regulated entities around the globe, or they would be bought out or they would close. Uh, So that 10th thing was really about once the regulation became onerous enough, if the exchange model would even be profitable. And my assumption is, is that it's not. Exchange alone becomes an unprofitable business, mainly because the amount of money that will need to be spent to be compliant versus the revenue that exchanges make, which will fall as larger players come in and charge less money to do exchange, uh, would mean that we will see a toppling of you know 90% or more of existing exchange interfaces because they simply weren't ready to, to take on that cost burden. That is fascinating. So segueing from that, what is the grand vision for CoinMetro to survive this kind of environment? It sounds like you guys already have a lot more than just a typical crypto exchange has. Can you tell us what the grand vision is? Sure. So when when I was kind of putting together the idea, not initially, let's say four or five years ago, but when I finally had some time to devote to this to this business, it quickly became, a, a, a let's say, prevalent to me that it wasn't going to be possible just to be an exchange for the, for, for the reasons I just mentioned. In order to stay relevant, in order to stay profitable, in order to actually maintain a business, we were going to need to have multiple revenue sources. And at the same time, it would allow us not only to, we didn't have to compete with, let's say, Coinbase and Binance and things like that, we would be able to expand our our reach and and pull clients in from many different sub-segments. So the idea for CoinMetro, the exchange is always going to be one of the major, let's say, engines that drives the business, right? Because other monetization vehicles we build into the infrastructure are going to use the exchange, which means at the end of the day, it still is the core, but it may not be where we make all our money. So the idea for CoinMetro is is essentially to to put it into the, let's say, the shortest amount of time possible is kind of like... Revolut meets Coinbase meets Robinhood. So it's Revolut model being challenger banking. So we're talking about SWIFT payments, SEPA payments, faster payments in the UK, debt, worldwide debit cards, NFC payments, etc. And then and then Coinbase. And what obviously what Coinbase is, is your fiat to crypto exchange. And then you have Robinhood. And what Robinhood does, if, if people aren't aware of what it is, is they're based in the US. They're basically a, a platform for retail investors uh, to invest in products they may have not had access to uh, if it wasn't for Robinhood. Robinhood also does other things, but that's how, the, that's how the platform initially really was created. So the idea is to create something that's more holistic, that brings people that can be unbanked, underbanked, people that simply want to diversify their investment portfolio, people that want to get involved in crypto that may not understand what it is, and people that want to get involved in investments that have no idea what crypto is. What I just mentioned, those three factors are really uh, for the retail public, right? It's for retail clients, for for normal people, everyday people. It has nothing really to do with, let's say, what people would consider institutional investors. And the main reason for that is, is I come from a retail market, and retail is always underserved. Even though there's 
how many of our exchanges exist right now? I would say the retail public still underserved, right? And when you talk about banking, definitely underserved. As some people aren't served at all, but even those that have access to services are generally underserved. They either have, they're lacking somewhere, but we still have an infrastructure play and the infrastructure play is still part of the coin metro ecosystem. And that's what I mentioned earlier, which is the CSD. Imagine a CSD is basically a vehicle that does settlement and custody. So when in, inside of Europe, in order to be able to trade a transferable asset, which in this case, we'd be talking about STOs or tokenized securities, you need they need to be housed in a CSD. And there is no CSD in Europe or anywhere in the world that will house a DLT or a blockchain-based asset. So this infrastructure play basically gets us to the point where we can actually cr- create a secondary market and not recreate the current secondary market, but create a secondary market for native tokens. That means assets that are built on the blockchain and not just carried over from, let's say, off-chain. Off and the big thing with that is, is that all the all the guys that are making roads into this, this type of business model now are doing what's called a depository receipt. And what that means is you have an asset already in the secondary market and you, you don't do anything but create a token that says this token gives you rights to that underlying asset. And that doesn't add liquidity. It doesn't add a cross-border. It doesn't add in retail liquidity pools. It doesn't do anything to really improve the current secondary market. It just recreates all the pain points we already have. The CSD project, along with CoinMetro as that front-end MTF, that front-end trading platform for tokenized securities, really creates a brand new security or capital market infrastructure that up to now doesn't exist. Yeah, and I thought that was one of the best things about CoinMetro is you're actually going to be able to trade tokenized securities there. While all other exchanges are running away from it like the plague, you guys are running straight forward towards it. Uh, yeah, and I think the, the the main reason for that is if you look at the size of the regulated markets as a whole, I mean, every market, bond market, capital markets, equity markets, and you compare that to even the possibility, even if you know Bitcoin reaches 100K or a million, what people are estimating, it will still be dwarfed by the total capital markets around the world that are not tokenized. So the, the real end game for most institutions is about kind of taking down those walls, those three main aspects of getting cross instantaneous cross border, instantaneous transfer of ownership, and actually access to retail liquidity. And that's kind of what we're shooting for. I think I think that should be the end goal for everybody, to be honest, because that that's that's where the money is, literally. Yeah. It sounds like there's a ton of things that make CoinMetro unique from a lot of the other exchanges. Um, could you also talk about the XCM token? Sure, sure, of course. So XCM obviously is 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 our native token to, to CoinMetro. Um, the token is utility in nature. So we were very specific when we created the tokenomics behind that token to make sure that it was a utility rather than a security uh, for, for obvious reasons, I guess, especially going through a token sale. But then moving on, there's there there wasn't any there's no reason to create a security if you're not selling equity or you're not giving up, let's say, revenue share and things like that. And because we're an exchange, we're obviously a blockchain-based business. And over time, we will become more and more blockchain-based. Obviously, right now, there's limitations to what the blockchain can do, but eventually those limitations will be solved, and that will allow us to do more and more things on the blockchain. So it makes sense to, to underpin our everything we do, basically, with some type of blockchain-based asset. So right now, that token underpins, basically, um, access, for one, uh, to, to the platform. There's many ways that the token eventually will incorporate 
integrate itself with the platform. One, as we build out new services, we tie in the XCM token to that implicitly. Now, right now we're doing this as a, let's say, semi-automated practice. And that basically what we do is, is every transaction that flows into our exchange eventually gets converted to XCM tokens, the fees. And eventually those fees, part of that fee will be burned. The actual automation of that will happen over the next three to five weeks. And the reason why we haven't automated it yet is simply because we're building up volumes in the exchange. And it didn't make sense to focus on that from day one because the effect it would have overall on the token was minimal. But as we start to grow and we've been growing, the effect becomes larger. So basically every every transaction you do, meaning if you buy Bitcoin, your fee is calculated in Bitcoin, but immediately that Bitcoin is, that fee is then tr- is then transferred into XCM or basically sent to the market as a market order, buys XCM, and then we burn a, a piece or, 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 or a portion of that XCM. On the surface, it's a bit different than your normal, let's say tokenized exchange that probably does a quarterly burn. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket. Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com try. Go to shopify.com try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com try. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply or a monthly burn or some type of schedule. Yeah, like Binance uh, or like, I think there's the Leo token for Bitfinex that does like uh, every three hours or something, right? Correct. You're right. But the, the difference here is that that only ties in one to exchange business and our model ties into every fee structure. So I talked a bit about 
being kind of ready for the future with all these different verticals. Every vertical in some way, shape or form, either fees or access will be tied to the token. So when we talk about fees on a debit card transaction that we get paid in euro, will actually be converted to XCM. When we talk about being able to gain access to certain services that are priced in XCM, well, you have to buy that service in XCM, which means, again, a portion of that will be burned. And it's in real time. And it happens in real time based on real time metrics. So it's actually a much, uh, has a much stronger effect on the actual price action of the underlying token because it doesn't happen at set intervals. On top of that, when it's a set interval, it leaves people the ability to speculate on what is going to be burned. If they have access to data, for instance, if you do a quarterly burn based on profits and the public knows what you're profiting, they can calculate what the burn will be and they can speculate on that, which actually makes the token a security. Right. Yeah. So everything needs to be structured in the right way. But at the end of the day, as we build out new and 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 let's say brighter services into the ecosystem, they all get tied directly into, into that token. Man, that is fascinating. I love that model. Uh, when is the token minted and available to start using? Yep, we actually minted it, uh, and I got to remember the date. Actually, I think it was I think it was February, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe you might even correct me on that one. It was minted a few months back, let's say, or several months back. Um, and yes, it's available on Coin Metro. It can be it can be bought and sold right inside of all uh, three of our or four of our platforms now, including the Margin platform. You can't get use it for collateral on Margin, but that is coming. Awesome. That was my next question. I was going to say, uh, you know, a next uh, big update for Coin Metro, but uh, it sounds like it's going to be margin trading. Uh, yep. Margin trading was released. You can actually trade XCM on margin. You just can't use it for collateral yet, but I expect uh, that to happen over the coming weeks. But you can buy and sell it on margin using something else as collateral, whether that be Euro, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then actually the next project that's coming out, the next piece of the ecosystem that will be released in approximately four weeks is uh, margin posting. It's the margin marketplace. It'll allow people people to actually give a post collateral that other traders can use and they will be able to earn a daily interest rate or actually an interest rate calculated by the second paid by the hour. Oh, I love um, that. So, so the good thing there is that most, most, most platforms will calculate either every pay in advance for every three hours or every day. So if you only hold a position for a few minutes, you end up paying at least three hours worth of interest. And here you'll pay it by the second. So you'll be able to save a substantial amount of money uh, from other margin trading platforms that are available on the market. I love that. That's super exciting. That's amazing, considering all the different margin platforms that are coming out now. Uh, you guys already are still way ahead of the game. Uh, yeah, look, I think we take the Apple model a little bit here where we, we might not be the first, but we try to learn from others' mistakes. And obviously, when it comes to margin and leverage, well, we've been doing this for quite some time. I've been doing I've been in this in the FX business for 22 years. Our, our, our broker has been around for 10. We deal in very high leverage and we know how to mitigate risk. So at the end of the day, we, we take a little bit more of a cautious approach. Uh, but that's only because we want to make sure that when we release something and that we actually release it to a wide audience, that it fits the audience, that we're not just, uh, you know, copying somebody else's approach. And speaking of which, it sounds like you guys have so much more than all these other platforms and exchanges. This had to be extremely difficult. Can you talk about some of the biggest challenges you've overcome and also some of the biggest challenges that remain? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think I think the challenges that that we've overcome and the challenges that remain are almost the same. So anytime, you know, I've been I've been in, involved in many different businesses, including FX. We we built all our own tech on the FX side. So we're talking about very similar tech, matching engines and order management systems and bridges out to platforms that allow people to trade and APIs and fix and all these different things that were built and fixed, by the way, is the financial information exchange. It's basically a messaging system that's used by pretty much every major financial institution in the world to pass data back and forth. 
Oh, I thought I thought you were gonna say it was like the Poloniex troll box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So, so fix fix uh, eventually will be the standard for crypto exchanges as well. Um, it'll take a bit of time, but that will happen mainly because counterparties. When you talk about real counterparties, they all use fix. Nobody uses REST APIs or WebSockets to transfer data because you can lose a lot of data packets using those types, and they're they're slower. And not only are they slower, they're not, there's no standard. So if you have to connect to 15 different APIs to be able to create an ecosystem or, or, or an aggregate trading ecosystem, it's just a waste of time, to be honest. So fix is coming and it'll event. That, there's another prediction for you. I think within a year or so, you'll start to see that uh, be the standard in, 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 in crypto as well. So many of the things that we ran into was, well, when we created the company, even though we ha- I had a development team uh, at my FX broker, I didn't bring everybody over, mainly because I needed to maintain continuity at my FX broker. So I, I just wasn't able to port over the entire team, which means we created the team a lot, mostly from scratch. And many people were, were, were located in many different parts of the world. So that's a challenge because, well, that's very difficult to make work. And it can take, you know, weeks and months for people to understand how to work together. And sometimes it still doesn't work out. So obviously, when we when we first built the team, we, we, we realized quickly that, you know, some pieces of that team didn't work. We ran into roadblocks. We ran, we, you know, we missed some deadlines here and there. Um, you know, we have a, there's a, there's a bit of a, I guess, a, a, I don't know, a, a funny kind of inside joke inside of our telegram, which is the word soon, you know, because we got we got caught so many times initially where we would we would try to pick a specific date, and whether it was for regulatory reasons, whether it was for, because we re-strategized something, whether it was because we felt the need to go back to the drawing board, whatever the case was, we would miss a deadline, right? So now now I like we like to use the word soon, and so now it's become a bit of an inside joke. But basically, the, the 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 thing is, is that anytime you build something, especially when you build something, when you have a Telegram group that has 100% access even to the CEO, and I'm a pretty transparent guy. So when I hear something from my team, I tell people on Telegram, right? And that that that's good and bad. It's good because people are aware of what's going on. It's also bad because people take it as gospel. And then if anything changes, you know, you get a little bit of, you said this and now it's that. Uh, so, you know, but... Again, I guess, in, at least in my history, and, and I think, to be honest, in, in most development history, you don't have this type of access, right? And every major company misses deadlines. Every major company, you know, has releases a software that they Q&A tested, you know, they thought they Q&A tested right to the end, and it gets released, and within five minutes, somebody finds a fatal flaw, right? Apple's done it, Google's done it, Microsoft has done it. They all have done it. The difference is, is that you don't have this, you don't have a Telegram group for Apple, there's no place where people can go and just, you know, talk about things openly. So it becomes quite a challenge to be able to kind of schedule releases, uh, make sure that you placate the community, but at the same time, you're, you, you know, you have enough, uh, let's say, internal communication to where you make sure things are done on time and done correctly. So I think those things, we've definitely gotten much, much, much better. We have a much more cohesive team. We've had time to build that team and make sure that everybody uh, works well together and, and that we're all on the same page and that inter, let's say, office communication is kind of uh, fine-tuned at this point. But still, you run into issues where because we're so public, we run into the same similar issues, uh, even though we, we've been now hitting deadlines, I think, like clockwork, uh, even though that that kind of soon, uh, that, that soon inside joke still exists. Um, but we've been hitting those deadlines like clockwork. But at the same time, it's difficult when you have to placate a community. It's it's just a whole different ballgame. It's not like your normal development cycles where everything's internal until you want it to be external. Here, everything's external, even if you don't want it to be external. Interesting. 
Yeah, I, I see that a lot. And for me, it's it's very attractive that, you know, even if uh, things change, I think good companies pivot because no matter how good a plan you have, things always come up, things always change. Something works in theory way better than it does in practice. You have to have that room to pivot. And uh, I've seen CoinMetro do that a lot. So speaking of uh, you know the pivot from your FX career into now crypto and CoinMetro, what's one of the reasons you got into crypto in the first place? Was there anyone in the crypto space that you really admired that uh, inspired you to join, or anyone that uh, you really admire now? Uh, I think I think when it when it comes to admiring, I think there's a lot of people that I like different things about what they say or do. But I, I'm a, I don't want to say I'm a critical person, but when it comes to certain things. Like for instance, regulatory the the, the ability to talk op- talk openly and understand how regulation will affect this market. Uh, one of the reasons I got in is because I couldn't find anybody that actually did that correctly, and that's one of the reasons that kind of really pushed me. I, I think for me, if I if I go to the the first part of your question, why I got involved was one, it was it was interesting to me personally. I I read the Bitcoin white paper. I think within a month of it of it being released publicly. And it was it, it was um, it was interesting to say the least. It, it 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 was something that I had never never really thought down and never really sat down and thought about. You know, a decentralized economy per se, uh, but obviously within different circles, especially in finance, there they, I've I've been in talks that have that have been similar in nature. Maybe not you know a, a, an economy run by mathematics and decentralization, but generally going down that line of removing power from the power that the powers that be. And I, I think. I would love to see that happen, though I do think that to get there, we have to kind of placate the regulators first and show them that it works. And that's that's where I differ from a lot of people. When it comes to tech, obviously, I think uh, Vitalik is somebody that I would say, at least on, on the tech side, is is somebody I would admire. I think he's he, he sometimes says the wrong thing, um, but I think he is very open. Uh, he generally, I think, tries to help when he can help, even though he obviously doesn't have to anymore. He's a young guy, so that can be difficult when you're young. Everybody, everybody's young once for a reason, and that's because you make a lot of mistakes, yeah. right? I don't think the universe allows you to be young twice for that same reason. Um, and and I think given his age, he's definitely very, very mature in many ways. I do wish he had a PR guy so that he didn't talk about certain things publicly, but hey, that, that that's that's a wish. But definitely <laughs> on the text that I think that's somebody I would look up to. When it when it comes to you know business savvy and things like that, I can look up to almost anyone for specific reasons, right? There can be someone that I, I absolutely don't like what they're doing, but there's a specific piece of them that I say, ah, hey, you know what? That's good. And and I think in, in order to really grow up as an individual, you need to take the all the good you see and kind of fine tune that into your own, the way you operate everything in your own life, right? So with just you can't just see the bad, you can't just see all good, but you, you pick the pieces from people you meet. And I've met a lot of people, nameless people, people that I remember their names, some people I don't, that kind of led me down the path where I am today. So I think that what crypto really needs, though, is is kind of and that's one reason why I got in as well, is that we need to create kind of a soapbox for people that truly understand different pieces of this industry, whether that's regulation, oh, whether it's agreed. business travel. And, you know, the soapbox we have now generally gets gets filled up by people that generally shouldn't have the ability to talk to, to the public, right? So you get a lot of people in crypto Twitter, for example, that really just shouldn't be there. Um, and I, I think now we're getting to the point where we're, you know, like-minded people, people that understand things are, are kind of starting to get a, a majority voice. And I'm happy. I'm happy about that. And and I'd, I'd love to be one of them. Uh, so, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, and I, I wish I could give you more names, 
but uh, to, like I said, I, I pick I pick the good from everybody. So even somebody I disagree with on many, for instance, our, our, our Doctor Doom, right? So I had I had a chance meeting with Doctor Doom, Noriel Rabini, for those who are not familiar. <laughs> had a chance meeting with Doctor Doom in London. I was invited to a, a, some cocktails where he was present, and we had a bit of a debate. And I have to say that he's he's an economist. He's a, he's an award winning economist. The guy is right on many points, and he's terribly inaccurate on others. Um, and I think at the end of the debate, we, we kind of came in agreement on, on what we agreed on and what we didn't agree on. And he was actually quite forthcoming in the fact that basically he, he kind of lacks vision, right? So he, 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 likes, he likes innovation, but he doesn't like the innovation until it's proven to work, which is kind of ridiculous because in order to be an innovator, you have to test lots of things. And, and I, I agree with him that blockchain has maybe limited, he says it has no use. I agree that it has limited use at this point, but I also agree that in the very near future, those use cases will expand rapidly. And that's only because it's a technology-driven ecosystem. So tech changes, tech pivots, and tech solves problems. It's not a systemic issue. It's a tech issue, right? So at the end of the day, uh, it will it will get to the point where it solves many of the issues that maybe right now it's not the best to, it's not the best tool to solve them. And I think at the end we agreed that hey, you know what? I I kind of lack vision. That's that's what we agreed on when it comes to Noria. He agreed that he kind of lacks a bit of vision. So I'd have to say like so again we disagree on many points. I know he's villainized uh, by 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 let's say the cryptoverse. At the end of the day though, there's certain things there that I would admire uh, about him, uh, even though obviously I don't admire everything. So that's kind of how I, I take when I when I meet people. So there's always a piece that I'll admire. Always a piece I'll take home with me, and then yeah. there may be a piece I throw away. That's all very well expressed. I think that was like probably of all the guests that we've asked that question, I think that was the best answer. <laughs> uh, I got one final question for you uh, before we run out of time here. And it's it's kind of just, you know, this is Crypto 101. And so we're here to, you know, educate, you know, people that are just entering the space and starting to get their feet wet. If this was the only podcast somebody listened to, what would be that one just takeaway for these guys and gals? I think it's the same takeaway I'd give when I used to give uh, trading lessons. Obviously, most people that come into this market, if they're listening for the first time, they're probably looking to buy into this market. So they're probably not doing research and development. They're probably not looking, for the most part, to create the next uh, you know, Coinbase. They're probably looking to get involved in the market, which means buying into some type of asset, whether that be Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, whether it be some type of altcoin, whatever. That's probably what they're, what they're looking to do. So the same advice I'd give to any trader that I've given for years is that Understand that trading is not that difficult. It's, it's, it's something that can be learned. Anyone can teach you a strategy that makes money. You yourself can create a strategy that makes money. The biggest, uh, the, they say the biggest roadblock for you becoming a successful trader is yourself. It's psychology. So if, if you're a person that lacks self-control, you have to be honest with yourself. If you lack self, that means if you're out drinking and you've had three and you said you're going to have three and you have the fourth. Or if you said you were going to be somewhere at a certain time and you know you're not going to make it and you, 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 or you know you can make it, but you still stay wherever you are because you just want to and say, eh, doesn't matter. Or you're the type of guy or girl that, you know, opened a business and had a bit of failure and gave up. You will never become a profitable trader. There's many famous traders out there. One that pops into my head, last name is O'Neill. Um, and if you, if you, if you look at books by Anil, he'll talk about the same thing. It's about psychology. You need to, you need to be able to commit to a plan and not deviate. And what happens with most traders is they will take very small profits because they see green on the board and they take their profits, but they will let losses run forever and they don't cut them because quote unquote, it's going to come back. 
and they will find excuses in the news and the market. Oh, I read something on Bitcoin today that said that this is the bottom and it's not going to go below nine. I'm going to go ahead and and wait because you know what? It's going to come back. And if, if you're if you're a type of person to do that, again, you will never become proud. It doesn't matter what teacher you have, how many books you read, how much money you have, you will fail every time. So before you get involved in trading, whether it be crypto or any other market, because at the end of the day, they're all the same. Whether it's more volatile or less volatile is, is, is irrelevant. If you can't control the psychology side of trading, do not try to trade. It's like a psychological imprint of the collective market. And it's like the price price moves up and down, but price is people, you know? It's like people make prices. So it, it makes perfect sense that like Forex markets and stock markets and crypto markets, you know, they move the similar way because they're made up of the same people, I guess. Exactly. And here you have a market that's driven probably 90% by retail money, which means that all these guys are making the same mistakes, right? Uh... So for an, institu- for an institutional trader, it's kind of like taking candy from a baby. This is, and just, I don't want to go too long on this, but- the futures market, the reason, one of the major reasons we saw, it's not the only reason, but it's one of the major reasons we saw 20K down to three is that you were, institutions were able to short. So they simply waited to see some capitulation on price. They saw it around 20K and they shorted via the futures market like nobody's business. And as soon as the futures market started to fall, obviously people saw the futures market falling and started to sell on the deliverable market. So all the exchanges mm. and we crashed down to three. And I would say that that's probably going to happen again as we start. And that's what's happening now. Every time we see 13 or 14, you see a crash. Watch the futures market. Watch the volumes on the futures market. I guarantee you the futures market is outpacing deliverable volumes by leaps and bounds when we hit these highs. That doesn't mean we won't go higher. But what it means is, is that it's retail money driven. So yes, just as you said, sentiment, it's the herd. It's, it's basically retail guys all doing the same thing. So for a, for a mind that knows about trading, it's, it's relatively easy to trade. But again, you need to control the psychology. You can, you can throw a dart at a dartboard that says, you know, that has all the assets on it. You throw it, it hits Ethereum. Then you throw another dart that says either buy or sell and it hits sell and you sell. I could do that and make money. I can almost guarantee you. I could do that every day when I walk mm-hmm. into the office and still end up with a profitable trading account. And then someone else can do it and lose all their money in two days. And the only difference is, is money management and psychology. That's it. That's fascinating. I learned so much from you, Kevin. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. How do people? How do people stay in touch with you? Uh, do you guys have a Twitter? Um, where would you like to send uh, some, send some people to? We 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 sure do. So our Twitter, Coin Metro's Twitter is at Coin Metro. You can at, reach me directly at at Coin Metro underscore Kevin. I'm also on Telegram with the same moniker and and Coin Metro as well. So you can get to our group at Coin Metro or at Coin Metro Kevin to chat with me directly. Um, and, and if you go to our website, coinmetro.com, all our social media are all linked there so you can get in touch with us rather easily. Um, and yeah, that would be the easiest way, I guess. That's just delightful. All right, everybody. Uh, this is Bryce Paul signing off. And this is Pizza Mine. Kevin, once again, thank you very much. Don't forget to hit us with a follow at Crypto101Pod on Twitter. And our Facebook group is Crypto101Podcast. Thank you, everybody. See you next time.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.